In this episode of The Emma Gunn Show, I'm joined by fashion journalist, columnist, author and accidental divorce expert, Stacey Duguid. The affair you're having with the young guy you met on Tinder with the large penis, is that worth dismantling your family life for? Are you just cockstruck? There are only so many microaggressions you can cope with until all of those microaggressions turn into a tsunami of aggression, which means at that point it's too late and you've gone too far. And I looked at her and for the first time in many years, I didn't feel alone. I felt seen by her. She could see here was a woman falling apart, trying to hold her shit together at work, as a mother, in the relationship, and yet, really, I was failing at everything, but not being seen by anyone. Midlife is really about standing still. And it's about evaluating the present, which is really fucking painful. I agree. You know, I've lost, I've lost a lot of friends that way. And I have lost a lot of potentially new and close friends because of Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. My guest today is Stacey Duguid, one of the most trusted and familiar names in fashion, having worked as a columnist for The Telegraph, editorial director at Harrods, fashion editor at Elle magazine, director of comms at Prada and head of press for Giorgio Armani, among many other jaw-dropping fashion credentials. She was born in Manchester and moved to Scotland when she was six years old and then moved to London on a whim, aged just 20, with a dream of working in fashion. And it was a chance meeting with a woman who did work in fashion in a nightclub because this was when house music was achingly in that led to her first job as an assistant and a career trajectory that I'm sure even Stacey couldn't have imagined. She met the editor of Elle at a Prada event and was given a column. This is where she discovered she could write. And for four years, she wrote about her mad but oh so fashionable life in the Mademoiselle Confessions of an Elle column. L girl column. Her writing skills have for the last few years been making sense of and helping countless people navigate the horror shocks and uncertainty of divorce after Stacey's own marriage broke down. And this has culminated in her book In Pursuit of Happiness, which I have to tell you listeners, it's the book everyone is talking about when I go to any beauty or fashion adjacent event at the moment. It is therefore a delight to welcome Stacey onto the podcast to deep dive into all things divorce, reclaiming your identity, discovering a new version of yourself and so, so much more. I have a feeling this is going to be a humdinger. So strap in. Welcome to the Emma Gunn Show, Stacey Duguid. Thank you so much. What an introduction. Well, what a life. I mean, goodness me. I mean, you're right, born in Manchester and, you know, working class to working class parents. And to think, you know, that little girl, age six, who left Manchester and moved to Edinburgh, uh, it's slightly different circumstances in Edinburgh because it was a, it was, a, you know, my mother had remarried and it was a slightly, let's just say, it was, it was, it was not, uh, I was not destined to work in a chip shop at that point you know, right. when I moved to Edinburgh. But had you told me back then that, you know, I'd be working for Armani and Elle and 
you know, I would never, never have imagined it ever, ever, ever. Um, you know, at my school, I left school in 1992. And in, at my school, if you're a creative, you were either a hairdresser or you were going to art school. Mm-hmm. And those were the kind of career options. But yeah, it's been a, a wild ride, this career. And it, so yeah. unexpected. And it's funny, I think, because um, it is an industry that does, it does favour the privileged. But it's funny when you when you speak to somebody and know of people, we've both worked in magazines for a very, very long time. So we know a huge breadth of people who work in this space. And it is almost funny when you hear somebody who is very open about having a working class background, who is now, you know, shandy beginning champagne lifestyle. And then I was listening to you talking to our mutual friend, Rosie, and I just love the fact that you were saying how hangovers at work and how thank goodness for a Chloe cape. And you just think those words just would not have felt fallen out of the mouth of you of your mouth 20 years previous, because the idea of how snuggly they are and how good for just kind of hiding away from the world is just kind of ludicrous to somebody who is kind of struggling to make ends meet. Actually, as well, you know, frankly, no one would have a hangover at work anymore. What, because everyone's teetotal. <laughs> you want so well behaved. Um, it was where I worked with Rosie Green. I was at L from 2004 to 2013 when I had my second baby. And I worked with Rosie Green, who was the, the beauty director. And I mean, look, we all know Rosie Green, right? She is just one of the nicest people on the planet. And we worked to, we worked together. And I remember looking at her thinking that there's a woman who has her shit together. Mm-hmm. You know, coming in and her little unless it was a Chloe moment, right? Which is why she and I talk about Chloe a lot. Uh, in her Chloe-esque, they probably weren't Chloe because we're not paid enough. Yes, <laughs> yes, yeah. Chloe. But, you know, I do think they were Chloe. I think she splashed out on some Chloe flares and a little, you know, white blouse. And I thought she was ever so grown up. And I was just this kind of like <laughs> wild, wild woman, but also, you know, not ready to have what she had. And Yes, back to your point. Uh, and when I mean what she had, I mean in terms of a marriage and a family. And even though we're exactly the same age, for me, I looked at her and I thought, oh, you must be at least 20 years older than me. You must be. But yeah, I mean, sure, 20 years ago, you know, think or 30 odd years ago, thinking about wearing a Chloe cape or having a designer handbag, that was so, I mean, it wasn't actually a priority either, but it was definitely way out of my reach. Totally. And obviously, for those listeners who haven't come across Rosie Green, you should have because she's been on the podcast a few times, but she is our mutual friend. And if you haven't listened to her conversation, then um, find it on the feed. I'll put the link in the show notes. But you now have something else in common, which is that you have both navigated divorce, actually sort of completely different stories, but no less painful, no less turbulent and you have both become these sort of figureheads for women everywhere who are going through these feelings. And you, you've you spoken about them so openly and so honestly. I mean, there really is no filter. And I imagine that you must be inundated with met- messages from people who have just realized the marriage is over or has found out for whatever reason. And now they want to know what happens next. Yeah. Uh, the, the Times called me an accidental divorce influencer, which I found quite horrible. <laughs> I'm thinking, hang on, does that mean I'm influencing women to get divorced? But um, so one of the really, really powerful things about talking 
authentically and truthfully about a situation as difficult as divorce is that I have been able to, in my very, um, you know, I, I don't have a qualification in coaching, obviously, but when women message me on Instagram, direct message me on Instagram, Instagram is the kind of favored platform um, at the moment, but um, they ask me a lot of questions that they would never ask publicly on my main feed. And I'm able to answer them very, very honestly. And actually it ranges from I've left or he's left me or she's left me because I have also men and well, I don't actually have um, many gay women message me because it's a very kind of heterosexual, suppose, experience. Women leaves man, man leaves woman. So, you know, in that way. But mostly women in relationships with men. And they say, I'm, I'm leaving or I'm thinking about leaving. If they've already left, I'm sort of like holding their hands through the trauma. But if they're thinking about leaving, I can ask them a lot of questions and in some cases, say for example, the affair you're having with the young guy you met on Tinder with the large penis, is that worth dismantling your family life for? Are you just cockstruck or are you maybe needing to go into couples therapy with your husband and things like that? And I've had a couple of women go, oh, thank goodness I messaged you. I've got rid of the Tinder date. It was a moment of madness. We're in couples therapy. We're giving it a go. Or they'll say, yeah, I'm actually ready to leave. And there's no one else. And, and I go, have you got your finances in order? If you haven't, please go and check this, 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 and this, and this. And actually, I'm not qualified to give advice. I can only talk about my own experience and the things I wish somebody had said to me. I think what's really interesting about this is it's a it's a situation where your world just completely blows up, completely blows up, whichever side it was on. And I alluded to the difference for people who have listened to the episode of the Rosie, they'll know that her husband said he was leaving and didn't leave a forwarding number. But that wasn't the situation with you, was it? No, it wasn't. I was in a, a lonely marriage and I... I felt unseen, and that sounds really uh, self-indulgent, but there's only so many years of, of uh, you know, no conversation, nothing, you know, no hand-holding. I was talking about this at a lunch yesterday with someone who jokingly said that her husband asked her to order her own birthday present. And so it's been sitting on the kitchen table since the weekend when it was her birthday and it's been it's this box has arrived and it's unopened and it's sitting there he knows it's there and i think what she wants him to do is open up the box and wrap it up and then hand it to her and i said and i know this may not be the way to describe it for everybody but certainly in my relationship it was there are only so many microaggressions you can cope with until all of those microaggressions turn into a tsunami of aggression, which means at that point it's too late and you've gone too far. So mm -hmm. actually, at what point do you challenge that? Oh, you didn't make me a cup of tea. Oh, you didn't get me a birthday present. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to do that back to you. And then before you know it, you're in a tit for tat, horrible cycle of, you know, but you said you did, he did that. And that's not how you started off in a relationship. You started off texting one another, 
making one another a cup of tea. Tech, do you want some dinner? What do you fancy to eat tonight? These tiny little moments in life really do, they are, they have to be maintained. And I didn't maintain them and nor did my husband, ex-husband, sorry, nor did my husband. It's interesting, isn't it? So it blew up and in that moment, it's obviously hugely emotional. And what's really struck me from my conversations with Rosie, friends who've gone through something similar, and also Helen Thorne, again, she's been on the podcast, I'll put the link in the show notes, is how at a time when you are trying to navigate not only all of the emotions and perhaps some really difficult ones that you've not had to deal with or face before, you also have to go into your most practical and pragmatic brain because you have to think about things like finances, where you're going to live, the practicalities of childcare, if there are children involved, all of these things. So it's this really odd dynamic. I, I, I see the actual, and it comes out physically, I think, in people, of, have, of wanting to have these emotions and really needing to feel them, but actually constantly having to, this, to suppress them because you've got all of this other stuff that you now have to manage. Well, you say that. <laughs> sorry. Can you pause it on that? I'll try. Let's keep going. So sorry. Well, you say that. The thing is, is, you know, I didn't, I was unable to suppress, as you described, the emotions here and become pragmatic over here because I just went full emotions. Now we could say, all right, so three years ago, so two years after I left, sorry, no, wrong. Two years ago, a year after I left, I was diagnosed um, ADHD, autistic. So that there is a flood of emotions that happens with neurodivergent people. Also, there was a collision with menopause, perimenopause. Now, I've got a hunch, I have a hunch that when women reach circa 45, they there is a well there is it's not a hunch there is a scientific thing that happens in our bodies for the perimenopause for most women and in that moment for a lot of people i've spoken to what happens is you have this your body has this visceral response and it goes this is your last chance it starts you know your ovaries start popping out eggs like cannonballs <laughs> boom, 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 boom. I suddenly started dressing differently. I was wearing mini skirts. I had come out of, I had children quite late. I'm 49 and my first child at 37, my second child at 39. And so my early forties were filled with, you know, prams, double pram, uh, snacks, feeding, nursery, and I lost myself. I lost myself. I lost my connection to myself. I lost my connection to my ex. 45 came around, the perimenopause, the children are at school, something happened. I then got a, a job um, and I was working throughout as freelance writing. But that's slightly different to going into an office. Mm. All of these factors came in. I could, therefore, I got a job, therefore I could afford to leave. The perimenopause hit, the children were getting more self-sufficient. There was no more having to wipe bottoms and, you know, spoon feed. There's lots of other things to deal with, but certainly not the kind of physical side of motherhood. And I decided, well, rather, there was this kind of hormonal response that collided with um, a financial freedom for the first time and my children not being so reliant upon me. I just 
decided to, I did not make all of the, I did not think, okay, all right, so you can leave now and you'll be fine because you can pay rent on the second property. But what happens in a year? And what happens in two years? And hey, what happens if you lose your job? And what happens if the country goes into lockdown? Didn't see that coming, did I? Mm, mm. So there was an impulsive response to many factors, many different factors. And I really didn't have that. That pragmatic brain did not kick in. What you're describing is a series of factors that would justify um, really risky behavior. Correct. And um, anyone who is ADHD will do hard relate to this. Um, we should almost have like those little red buttons that we have on like chat shows. Uh, yes, hard relate. Um, when I hit 45, and I was feeling very, very ignored. I was at a friend's birthday and I was in a pub and I bumped into a very old school friend from when I was 14 who had a massive crush on. And we embarked upon an emotional affair. I say emotional, it lasted four weeks. I mean, it was not an affair. Uh, by the way, at this point I was in couples therapy. It's very mm -hmm. important to note that we were in couples therapy and I still felt ignored and all the rest of it. And I'm sure he did too. We were both very lonely in our relationship. And along comes this married man I've known from my school years who really sort of bombarded, love bombed me, mm. love bombed right from the opposite. Loved, love bombed me from the moment he discovered who I was standing outside that pub because I had a crush on him at school, he had a crush on me. And then we embarked upon this kind of WhatsApp affair. That's what I mean by emotional affair, right? Mm. And then we arranged to meet in a hotel room. It's all in the book. It's a pretty full-on scene that I don't think I'm going to go into. No, I'll put the link in the show notes to the book if you want to read that. <laughs> if you want to read that. <laughs> I mean, there was a lot of risky behavior involved. Let's just mm. put it that way, to your point. And we had one night in a hotel room and then my now ex-husband found the WhatsApps, found the messages, found everything. And that was the beginning of the end. And it really blew up in my face. When you're taking all of those risks, when all of those things are sort of coming together, you're feeling different, you're looking different. And then this encounter happens. Was there a part of you that wanted to ignite the fuse that would lead to the blow up? But did you not, but did you perhaps not realize, did you think it would lead to a big fight and a reconciliation? Did you think it would lead to the end of the marriage? Looking back, I now realize I was having some kind of breakdown. Um, we describe breakdown as, well, when one thinks about a breakdown, we imagine, you know, being sectioned, hospitalization, but people can have a breakdown that's much sort of on a micro level, which begins with a kind of disassociation. Um, I wasn't yet in therapy. I've been in therapy um, now, I'm in my fifth year of therapy, dealing with a lot of childhood stuff to do with my father. 
Um, but at that time I wasn't in therapy. And so I had all this stuff going on, you know, this man who was suddenly, I, I suddenly telling me I was attractive. Nobody had told me I was attractive for 10 years. Nobody had even said, I like what you're wearing in 10 years. No, I'm talking about my ex-husband here when I say mm. no. Um, we'd sit at dinner and not speak to one another. It was so depressing and grim. And then here was this man, you're gorgeous, you're funny, you're clever, you're this, you're that. Oh, wow, here we go. Um, was I trying to ignite the fuse that would set off the kind of, you know, bomb that blew up my marriage? No, not intentionally, but possibly subconsciously. I know that nothing was, um, I wasn't conscious of any of my acts at that time. So I was working in a very full on job. I was doing a school run before getting going to work. <clears throat> I was um, dressing up, getting rid, like putting on my armor. Like, I mean, I describe it in my book, but I looked ridiculous. I looked like, imagine if Phoebe Philo designed Robocop. I basically looked like that. I mean, I don't know what I was trying to prove. <laughs> I had on like, I was practically wearing like a welder's visor to work. Celine Ovs, big dark sunglasses, <laughs> bright red hair. Like I remember buying this like vegan leather floor length coat that was so complicated. It was by a new designer called Material and it had like straps on it, sort of bondage I mean, honestly, ludicrous. Going to getting school gates, wearing this outfit, I mean, no wonder no one talked to me. <laughs> do, you want, do you want to go for a coffee? Said no one ever. <laughs> um, and then I'd go to work and I was sort of like in this um, period of like, we could call it a reinvention. I'm in a period of um, evolution now, certainly, but that was not reinvention. That was putting on armor to see who I could become and also who I could repel. I was I was going inwards and inwards and inwards and inwards. And I lost myself and I lost it. I lost the plot. I lost the plot at work. I lost the plot in my marriage. Never lost the plot in terms of my children because they have always, you know, even through the darkest, darkest moments, I've always managed to parent them. Um, but... Perhaps it was, perhaps I was looking for something to blow up my marriage. Even though we were in couples therapy and when my, when our couples therapist, when we talked about this fling, she was the one who referred to it as a fling. She said, I could have bet my entire career on this happening. Wow. And I looked at her and for the first time, in many years, I didn't feel alone. I felt seen by her. She could see here was a woman falling apart, trying to hold her shit together at work, as a mother, in the relationship. And yet, really, I was failing at everything, but not being seen by anyone. Mm. Which makes it seem really interesting to me that the way that you, the way the way that you dress changed, because what you're describing, I mean, you do does sound it does sound quite eye-catching being in the, doing the school run in that kind of get-up 
And it's, it's, a, it's prodding people, isn't it? It is saying, look at me. It's, it's you're awesome. saying you're not seeing, see, you're not being seen. So what you're doing is you're dressing in a way to go, I'm going to dress in a way that you, you can't, you simply cannot ignore me. <laughs> and oh, um, um, by the way, you definitely cannot talk to me. I mean, you should see me now, by the way, I would like to caveat this with, I turn up in, um, I've started to paint as in like, fine art and I turn up in my painting overalls wearing like gardening clogs with hiking socks and my hair tied up in like a bun on the top of my head like so yeah has anyone asked you for coffee <laughs> yes <laughs> <laughs> so so what you were doing is you were being see I think so this really there's so much that I'm sort of lis listening to it thinking god I can really relate to this for completely you, different reasons so can we like do you take that back to like makeup say or how do you relate to it in terms of your armor that you put on because I do think we clothes are our armor makeup is our armor well I haven't been able to enjoy clothes for a, a long time because I was always plus size and I didn't I felt I didn't enjoy that feeling and actually I was saying to someone yesterday I, I realize that I am enjoying clothes in a way that I've never been able to before, but it means that I'm expressing myself and I don't always get it right. Like when I first lost weight, it was almost like I regressed and I sort of wanted to dress like I was in a music video and it was a bit sluggish for a while. It was like, if I saw something and it was backless, I was like, it's mine. And like, you know, I, I had to really rein that in. Remind because, me how much weight you dropped. Uh, 40 pounds. Yeah. Yeah. So it 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 completely it's a completely different wardrobe that you can inhabit when you when you drop that many dress sizes. Um. So, but the thing is, is that there was definitely a part of me that wanted to sort of show off with it. But also, I I there were also times when I've dressed in a way I've wanted people to look at me, but I've also wanted them to stay as far away from me as possible. <laughs> exactly. Because what because what's going on inside at times has been dark and insecure and and I was always at school uh like the person who wanted to be seen or like get the lead role but also wanted to navigate things without anyone noticing that I was there so I mean that that in itself is just mental doesn't make any sense it does it does to me my daughter's exactly the same so last night we I mean I go all out for Halloween you should have seen state of this place um <laughs> She, she, sorry, I only relate to Halloween because I, I dress up, I dress the house. I, I, I did a mock car crash where I drove my car into my hedge and I covered the car in fake blood, like cheeks hanging out the windows, loud music, children crying sort of vibe. Wow. Meanwhile, my uh, son at 12 leaves the house in his school uniform, goes to his friend's house and says, you've gone too far this time, mum. And my daughter, like Safi from Abbab, says, I'm not wearing any Halloween costume. Anyway, I get mm. to my point, which is, she's exactly the same. So she didn't want to go out with her friends, but she wanted to be with them. She didn't want to go dressed up, but she wanted to be with her friends. So I can see a lot of myself in that. Like, I get... It's okay, keep going. I'm sorry. I get the emails that keep pinging in, listeners. I am so sorry. Um, I can see myself 
in that in so much as I have such anxiety around um, I'm really forcing myself now but the amount of times I've just not shown up the amount of times I just haven't turned up with with no explanation and then I've had to like practically well fall out with the person or never turn up so if it's like a PR thing or just they never you know I, I don't explain and therefore I'm sort of off the list and I, I sort of die inside because I know what I've done but there was mm-hmm. no way I could have gone and I couldn't have explained it to them and now I just really force myself out of my comfort zone I can see a lot of that in my daughter I too always was like the first to put my hand up I'll organize that and then a part of me was also the person that just wanted to be at the back of the room and not be noticed. It's really, really, really difficult being like that. Mm. And and my whole life has been like that. And it's actually, I'm now at a stage, I've talked about this a lot with girlfriends. I've never talked about this um, on any platform. And it's something I really want to talk about is that if youth and being younger is about reinvention, and about the future and about thinking, well, we can, let's, let's relate it to, if I, if I have a nose job or if I lose five pounds or if I do this at school and I do better at that or if I get to university or if I get that, if I get that raise or when I get that new boyfriend and you're constantly living in a state of reinvention. Mm. And I think it's quite healthy in lots of ways, not the losing five pounds or having a nose job, because that's just, you know, the inner voices in our heads that just tell us that we're not good enough. Not talking about that. They join in on the reinvention thing. It's just annoying. You should ignore those. But I'm talking about the things and the dreams that push us forward, push us forward, push us forward into the next step, into the next job role, into the next, you know, holiday, adventure. Midlife is really about standing still. And it's about evaluating the present, which is really fucking painful. And when you evaluate, to stop and evaluate the present, you have to therefore start living in the present, which is really difficult. And to live in the present takes a lot of work. And I'm not just talking therapy. That work can be any work. It could be whatever your work is, whatever that is. But looking inside at yourself, requires effort it requires going through a bit of grief it requires standing still for a minute and not looking forward because it's much it's far easier to live in the future than it is Mm. to live in the present and the future you may never come because that future you as you are experiencing or as you were experiencing in your 20s and your 30s you're now you're now say in your mid 40s to well i'll be 50 next year and I had to stop and go, okay, that future me, let's just rein that back into what's really happening today. And that is really hard. Interesting. Because I, well, I, I think of it in a slightly different way, which is not that yours is wrong, not that mine is right, but just in the sense that I think that there's an opportunity when you hit I'm so I'm 46 in a few weeks and I think that I have for the last few years been collating the data from my past through the lens of a woman who's in her mid 40s so not necessarily entirely accurate and I am trying to 
see what has worked and dis and lose what hasn't as I move forward. But I also don't want to, I don't want to atrophy. And actually I do still want to dream. I still do want to have a future me that is capable of things that I couldn't even imagine today. Because I think if I don't have that, then what's my incentive? So, but I, and so living in the present though, I do struggle with, because I think that's about gratitude, appreciation. It's so, in order to actualize the future you, you need to do the work in the present you. Mm -hmm. I, I believe that happens in midlife. I, I think it happens in midlife because I'm not sure we're capable of doing it before. Um, and I think it's a really healthy, positive thing. Mm. I've only just started to do it myself. And so I, for example, I just started a master's at Central St. Martin's, but I've now deferred for a year because I've, so that was the future me. I want to mm -hmm. be a full-time artist. Oh, that is the future me. That's a dream and that will happen. I'm, I'm laying the steps for that to happen. But the present me needs to get her financial housing order. And in order to do that, I have to work bloody hard now so I can maintain the mortgage on this house. I can maintain, you know, the simple basics of living, right? And the present me has to really focus on that in order for the future me to have that St. Martin's dream and to be an artist that will go on into my 50s. Mm. And that's really what I mean. And it's a sort of reckoning. It's a, it's a really interesting process. It's not easy. Mm. It's not easy. But I still also need the, the future dreams. But I know that unless I start living in the present, they won't happen. What lens do you look at your past self through? Are you compassionate? I've stopped being a bitch about myself. And I think that, well, that still takes work. I was really harsh on myself. Oh my gosh. I punished myself for being reckless and wild and this and that. And you would have got further hell or this job or that job, had you just done this, 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 this. Well, guess what? I didn't. I Maybe I'm not that corporate. And maybe I look at my editors and chiefs with total admiration now because I didn't understand then what they were having, what they had to do, mm. which was in order to manage a team of mostly creatives, they, also, they were also managing the corporates above. Mm. Now that's a skill. And that takes maturity and that takes all manner of actually quite a lot of um what's the word patience no patience <laughs> but also like there's certain cutting off them themselves what's the word detachment no, uh, oh i'll come it'll come it'll, it'll come. come it'll come but essentially they gave up part of themselves in order to you know to manage us and also manage our that you know i didn't have that then mm. I maybe would have it now actually but i didn't have it then i didn't have the foresight to see that actually if you are going to get higher up in a job say at Prada or at harrods there is a corporate game that you have to play 
There are boundaries that you have to have in place. You can't go for drinks with your teammates who are junior. You can't do that. You can't. Uh, you can't be Miss Fun or Miss Popular or Miss That and the Other. You can't. You have to sometimes go away and just think, it's a shame I can't go to that drink or to that party. But I can't because I'm playing the corporate, I'm towing the corporate line, which is I have, I have to be removed from it slightly. And so I've forgiven myself because actually I had a bloody good laugh. I had a great time and I've met amazing people. I wasn't ready to do that. Maybe I never would be, I never will be. So I have, I have in terms of my career, forgiven myself for many things. Um, and in terms of who I am, I've also, I've learned to embrace who I am. Sam Baker, who is an ex-boss, asked me on a podcast recently, um, are you too much or are you too little? And I cried, actually. And I cried because I've always felt too much. And I know my daughter feels too much because I've heard her utter the words before we go into a social situation, be normal. Be normal. She breathes, be normal. And I look at her and please don't be normal. There's no such thing. But I know what she means. Mm. Normal. Don't say, don't burst out like, you know, random things, which she does and I do. So yes, I've I've learned to um be more compassionate and forgive myself. And that's difficult. If it makes you feel any better. I think you and I are probably polar opposites in many ways in that I have always chosen the safer option. So when I think about friends of mine who in their 20s just went to every party they got invited to and who cares how we got home, I I made sure I got home. That kind of stuff. And I have said no more than I have said yes. And I really, I had a conversation with Michael Douglas, the hairdresser on the podcast recently and he said something about we were talking about karma and it was completely separate and he said you you don't you don't even if somebody has wronged you you don't have any part you don't participate in the karma that they might have because of how they treated you or because of what happened but just know what happens and I said oh how how will it how will it show up and he said they might sit at home and give themselves a really hard time about stuff and I thought oh my god okay Right. And it was actually really good that he said it because I thought, does my, does the amount of time I, and how horrible I am to myself in my, in my mind, even if I racked up all the things that I think I've done wrong or all the times I think I haven't treated people the way I should, does it warrant what I've done to myself? Because am I, am I assigning a dosage of karma? Because if that's the case, I need to wean myself off. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. And how do you do that? I go to therapy. I take sertraline, mm. which has been, uh, which has radically changed my, um, my, it's like, you know, the old adage, it's like wearing a raincoat and the drops of water, the rain, it just, they just, you know, they just bounce off you. Whereas before I'd be left drenched, soaking wet, shivering, and really, really traumatized for days mm-hmm. over nothing, by the way. Yes. Over a weird look someone gave me in the office over, I'm talking about the slightest of slights, right? Yeah. Um, 
can't live like that. That's not okay. Mm. And when the divorce happened and my world crashed, even though I left him, my world caved in um, and it was utter mayhem, utter, utter mayhem. I knew I couldn't cope. I couldn't cope with everything from Zoom meetings uh, of 25 faces and running a, a big team and not understanding the nuances in their facial expressions, even if someone turned away to look at their dog. I'd be like, what, what, why are they turning away? So sertraline has really helped me. Mm. I take 50 milligrams um, and I've been on that for a year and a half. I've been in therapy for five years and I take medication I don't, I'm not on it at the moment, but there are times when I need to really focus, like when I was writing a book, I take medication, it's, an L, it's called L-Vamps, and it's for my ADHD. And um, I still drink wine, and I probably don't eat correctly, and I need to exercise more. But I'm aware of the things that I do to keep those voices out. Mm. What do you do? What do I do? Mm. Well, actually, I haven't had therapy for a while, but I'm signing back up again because I've been much more social this year than I've been for a while because of obvious stuff. And I realized that it does, it comes home with me. Those little yeah. perceived slights, those yes. did I say the wrong things? And I have, I am much better than I used to be, but... I think the best way to describe it is I used to go to social events, not social events, sorry, they feel like social events, don't they? Our work events, we met at a work yes. event, but it felt social. No, but they practically are because we see our work colleagues more than we see our friends. 100%. So um, I would go to things like that in the past when I was really struggling. And I want to talk to you about something you said about a breakdown a while ago. Um, mm. And I realise now having been in therapy and things like that that I was sort of navigating the world with missing a layer of skin oh God, I was so a good way to describe it I mean it's gross but it, 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 it I was so vulnerable and porous and very flinchy I know it's horrible isn't it and it breaks but, my heart it's so true so true and I got much better at it and I built I built some resilience for the first time because I had a friend who said to me one day, I was, and this was just before I had a proper full breakdown, the definition of which we'll come back to in a minute. Yes. And she said to me, you know what, Emma, it's just, it's like you don't have an emotional toolkit and you literally can't handle any situation. <laughs> and it was brutal, but I did need to hear it. That's good. That's excellent. What an excellent friend. Yes. Yeah. I don't think, I think she, but the thing is that she was annoyed with me. And I think I did that a lot because I relied on other people for emotional stability. I was at an event. Did this just happen? So I was ruining their night because I was, <laughs> I mean, I'm sure you, maybe you can relate to that. I don't know. Oh, it's a hard relate from me. <laughs> we'll be right back after this short break. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do 
not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I mean, I'm sure you, maybe you can relate to that. I don't know. Oh, it's a hard relate from me. Um, <laughs> No, I was saying to someone yesterday at a lunch, which I actually turned up to. Whoop, go me. Well done. Uh, I know. Thank you. And um, was, this is my new thing. I absolutely have to go. I have to go. Mm-hmm. And I, I also sit on my hands and I just think, mm, just let someone speak first. <laughs> you know, like otherwise I'm talking over them. Um, I said to this woman, we had, we ended up having such a laugh and she, she was such a head girl type. And I said, I've attached myself to, I always have one really solid head girl type friend in my life. Despite them having full-time jobs or being single parents themselves and also volunteering for 55 charities and also feeling the homeless at the weekend, they will never, ever, ever let me down because I know that, you know, they'll check in on me. Mm. Meanwhile, <laughs> I'm in bed for four days after someone's looked at me and oddly, <laughs> oddly. <laughs> yeah. and I'm yeah, I'm like I I need a friend like that. I need mm. an honest friend, but also someone who's very together and organised. As I've got many many friends of all sorts of different types of people, but there's always one, isn't there, that will tell you the truth, even if they're angry with you. Mm. But it has to be a truth that comes in a kind of I've got you, I'm going to hold you, but this is what you need to do. Come on, yeah. girl. This is what you need to do, and that's a real. That is a proper friendship. The the real the friendships I cannot abide and will not tolerate anymore are the judgmental. My God, and it's never to your face. It's always to a friend. They don't ever say it to your face. They always say, "Stacey's God, she's always late. Oh, she never turns up. Or there's always something going on with her. What's wrong with her this week?" And you're like, "Oh wow, okay, yeah, right." Sorry, I confided you in you about that. The worst yeah. friend, and I had to cut one of these off recently, and it was actually very painful, was the one who commiserates with you and says, I completely agree, I completely agree. I hear you and tells you to your face how much you've grown. <laughs> and oh, you're you're like you're just like me. And then you find out later that they have repackaged those intense emotional conversations for someone else's entertainment in a way that makes you look like a prick. That is not Ooh. okay. Oh, yes. oh, that makes my blood boil. That's mm. awful. That is yes. awful. Come on, let's talk about the breakdown. <laughs> the yeah. breakdown. So, so yes. Yeah, so... drying off. <laughs> so... All my conditioner. 
It looks very yeah. lovely. I will, I'll put this clip up just so people can see your hair. Um, the because you talked about breakdown, and I think um, mm. I think it was interesting about the way you said you can have a micro breakdown, mm. but I don't actually know as if there's a diff a definition or if there's mm -hmm. a or if there are a set of things that you that have to all be ticked at the same time for you to have a breakdown. I definitely had one because I had to stop. And so that was it. It was like, I couldn't do my work. I couldn't feed myself. I couldn't clothe myself. It was a challenge to even get in the shower. I, I had that, very yeah. slowly over time got to that point where, when it came, where I, I phoned a friend and she said, Emma, you just, you need to stop. You need to stop now. And I think, and I feel, but I don't talk about it as a breakdown often, although podcasts, yeah. I feel quite safe talking in a podcast because it's, well, it was, it was a breakdown. If you can't get out of bed and you can't shower and you can't work and you can't feed yourself, that is a breakdown. You have, you, you cannot, you cannot do the basics of life. And I get quite cross on Instagram on mental health day. And I'm glad we're all talking about it, but hashtag have a bath and light a candle. I'm sorry. If you can't get out of bed to light the damn candle, that's, you know, we need to, we need to really, I think, put into perspective what is, um, mental health is really important to talk about. Mm -hmm. A hangover is different to mental health. You're just hungover or you've got your period or you're not feeling great that day. You're, you don't have mental health issues, okay? You're just not feeling great that day. And mm -hmm. if you feel not, and if, you, if you've got your period and you're hungover, you're hungover. And that blends into five more days of feeling sad. Okay, that's different. But we need to really think about, hang on, when you can't get out of bed and you can't shower and you can't feed yourself and you're almost sort of embarrassed to say, oh, I think I might be having a breakdown, but because everybody else is talking about it, I don't feel validated in my feelings. My feelings don't feel validated and I don't feel... Like it, I, I, it's not okay to say something because then I'm letting myself down and letting work down. And I think we all need to just say, do you know what? There was a point at which I couldn't do this, this, and this, and this. And th those moments are far too ugly for Instagram. Mm. Step mm. down the barrel of a, of a proper, of true mental health issues is, is ugly and it's unglamorous and there's no candle lighting. There is no meditation and there is no hashtag for that shit. It is horrible. And if you've ever experienced that, call it what it is. You know, maybe I shouldn't have called mine a micro breakdown, but I wasn't hospitalized. And so I call it that. I've been very close to feeling I should be in hospital, mm -hmm. very close, but my children kept me out of hospital. I had to keep pulling myself out. But when you're having to do the school run, talk about myself now, mm. and do the school run in your pajamas and then going back into bed and setting your alarm for school pickup time, that's a breakdown, right? Mm. That's a breakdown. And I just feel that we're still, despite all the stuff we talk about for social media, we're still embarrassed to talk about what really goes on and what's really happened to you and what's really happening. And on those days, I just 
I can't even look at Instagram and I can't, I just, I still have it. I had a really bad week this week, really bad. Mm. Really bad week this week. And I've stayed off Instagram. I've removed it from my home page. You know, there are some weeks when I'm just like, actually, I'm not okay. Mm. But I, I don't want to talk about it on Instagram either. Um, sometimes I, I often talk about it when it's after it's happened. Because you can add value then to someone who's consuming that because you can say, look, this is a really bad day. This is what I did. Because I think you're, because the other thing that's happened as much as we're talking about mental health, then we'll have lots of uh, people. I've seen people posting before and I've thought, now is not the time to be speaking into your phone. Now is the time to be speaking to a therapist. It's to be yeah. with your friends. It's to be with your family. Like yeah. it can be good to show the rough side of things. But yeah. I think when someone's clearly distressed, sharing yeah. it on a live is not the way. No, it's really not. Um, and I, and my heart goes out to them because believe me, that is the most, I mean, I don't know if it, it's not even brave. It's, it's actually someone needs to just step in and take their phone and say, you can't do this because actually you're not, you're not, this is not helpful for you or anyone else. It's a bit like how you described your, frenemy earlier when you're describing a, a really vulnerable moment and then it's for someone else's entertainment yeah that it becomes that yeah um and I that's so when I was going through the worst and darkest moments of my divorce when I say divorce I mean my living alone and having this let's just call it a breakdown I'm not going to call it a micro breakdown anymore thanks Emma um I have permission to call it breakdown. I didn't post in the moments of those feelings because I, well, first of all, I couldn't compute. I was mm. totally disassociated from, I had no, there was no way I could have sat down and, and, and written anything, first and foremost. But in the moments afterwards, the days afterwards, when my nervous system began to relax and I was, you know, I was able to reflect upon what had just happened, I then wrote, and I then rewrote, and then I rewrote, and those posts have really helped women mm. and myself. It was I love writing. I, I, I mean, half the stuff I write I don't publish because I, it's just for me a very therapeutic process. Mm. Um, which is why I find Substack a real joy. <laughs> find Substack traumatizing. <laughs> this idea that you have to post each week, having a weekly column in the Telegraph was oh gosh. Sometimes I just want to write and not offer that to go nowhere. But um, yeah. yes, the reflective writing can be very helpful for people. I want to jump way back on the timeline a little bit because there was something that I wanted to ask you about, which is about this sense of self-worth. And I, again, heard you talking to Rosie on her podcast and something really stood out for me. And there were a couple of things about how you met your now ex, which is one, it was on basically a dating app before there were dating apps. I too was on Guardian Soulmates back in the day. And the second was the sort of pressure you had felt about, oh, well, and obviously you have people like Rosie in your eyeline. I'm 34 years old, therefore my eggs must be drying up. Therefore I should probably get a partner and I should start having kids really, really soon. And you felt it was the very cognitive process of, this is going to happen to me if I don't do this. So let's get dating and let's get pregnant. And it was, ve it was very much that, wasn't it? Oh my God, yeah, it really was. 
I, I began feeling really around 20, uh, 31, 21, 31. <clears throat> and in amongst all of those kind of wild, I was L, it was like the prime Mademoiselle era. But 32, it sort of really started to creep up on me. And then 33, 34, there was like, what? You know, alarms. Like I imagined my ovaries to be like, like sirens. <clears throat> and, but it coincided in a time where, oh gosh, I really do wish I'd had therapy back then. That would have been ever so helpful. But it coincided with a moment when I was by fluke, or by what, I don't know, maybe it was part of this feeling that I wanted to sort of bed down and make make a home and feel more more stable in my life, that the bad boys, the disaster boys, the hot guys, the DJs, the musicians, they all began to feel a bit tiresome. And, you know, deep down within, I've always known that my type is quite bookish, really bright, um, and kind and clever, right? So, and yet I've been dating the opposite. And so when I went on Guardian Soulmates, Guardian Soulmates was a website you actually had to go on, <laughs> on, your, <laughs> on your computer, not on your phone, because uh, it was a Blackberry back then, let's face it. Yes. And, uh, there were quite a few guys on there that were very nice. And one of my best dating stories was the guy that got so nervous. Um, as he stood up, the tablecloth got caught in his denim, his jean, the jeans of his, sorry, the pocket of his jeans. You know that little tiny pocket that's like a pocket inside a pocket? It's, in isn't it for a cigarette lighter? Is it? I oh, think so. Boys. Okay. Yes. Well, for some reason, he had put, his fingers into that little tiny pocket and managed to stuff <laughs> the tablecloth inside that tiny pocket, which then got trapped and he stood up and the entire dinner, like main course, red wine, everything went flying. And my handbag went flying somehow because it was like hit by plague. And I rolled this lone tampon like doo -doo -doo. And at that point, I remember looking at him going, should we call it a night? <laughs> because we were both so mortified. Anyway, yeah. I met my ex-husband on that site and I knew pretty quick, well, I knew there and then that I loved, I would love this man and I did really, really, really love him. And he was always the smartest person in the room. So it made me think about the way you describe him versus the way you describe yourself. And it's the perfect that if you were to put one over the other, it would complete <laughs> and I've done this before I've, I'm attracted to the people who I think have things that I don't or can't have popular great I, I fancy you <laughs> bright great I'm all up in your business like I've always wanted to attach myself to qualities in someone else that I feel I lack and that obviously comes back to ding 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 let's, let's hit the buzzer at the same time low self-worth and low self-esteem um, yeah and I wonder if when we then fast forward down the timeline and you realize you're not being seen, you realize that you're not happy, whether mm -hmm. actually there is this thing that also happens in conjunction with midlife and perimenopause of appre suddenly appreciating who you are and what you stand wow. for and not trying to beat yourself up for it anymore. It's funny you should say that. 
because my ex used to always, when you're autistic and ADHD in a classroom and you can't focus, or even in a workspace where you can't focus in an office five days a week, like the you know good old fashioned days, eh? Flexi working, what? Um, <laughs> I would have to, I was, I'd be so distracted. I would have to, I'd just sit there almost like just staring at my screen and then I would work late to do yes. the job I was doing during the day, right? Yes, yes, oh my gosh. Right, yes. right. And so actually you're working twice as hard. Now, when my ex-husband said, I said something, I was like, moaning, like, and I'm not from, I'm not educated. I didn't go to university, but there's a difference between being educated and being bright. Mm -hmm. And my ex-husband said, he told, he said, you are bright. And I said, I'm not. He said, but you are. He said, you have to be bright to write the comedy you write. He said, you can only be funny and clever. Yes. He said, you have, you know, and I was like, I don't get it. Anyway, so years and years and years and years later, um, I have managed to finally dismantle this myth this that I've always, lifelong, that I'm stupid. I've always felt stupid. And I now know I may not have the most well thought through argument because I didn't study X, Y, Z, but I know I can go away and figure it out. And I know mm. I'm right. And acknowledging that has been life-changing, honestly, with 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 like no exaggeration, it has been life-changing to know that I'm not stupid, to understand fully and feel it in my body and in my heart and in my soul, in my body, viscerally, I am not stupid because I've spent a lifetime feeling stupid. And I cannot tell you what that does to you in meetings, in the workplace. I describe this in the workplace because it's sort of the thing that you and I really understand, right? Well, lots of women get it as well, but also in relationships, of course. But realizing that has been a game changer. And you don't have to be mastermind bright, by the way. You, I just always felt that everyone was smarter than me. And now I know they're not. I'm like, oh. <laughs> oh okay just because they could um just because they could have present this is another thing with neurodivergence so the words are there but we can't draw them down mm -hmm. because it's like having a piece of cotton wool imagine from the from your forehead frontal cortex but mobile cortex whatever it's called um right it's like a it's like having a mohawk in of, of cotton wool about four or five centimeters wide from the front of your foot, from the top of your forehead to the back of your, um, to the back of your neck, top mm -hmm. of your neck, rather. and it's inside and it divides your head and your, and it's like, it's like the little neurons, they can't talk to one another. So you can't find the words. And this mm -hmm. is another thing. It's so frustrating. That's why I think I prefer writing. Yes. Because I can yes. wait and I've got the time. Anyway. Um, I, I've gone off on a tangent. No. About, oh, yes, presenting an argument, which actually comes from education. So if you mm. went to a, let's say, good school, like um, boarding school, uh, fee-paying school, not even if you were had parents at home that were educated and cultured or whatever, and you were able to, they were able to present an argument to you at the dining table, 
and you were able and allowed, by the way, to speak back mm-hmm. and present your own version of events, which none of that. Working class parents, com- comprehensive, ADHD. So of course I felt I was stupid because I wasn't ever challenged. I wasn't ever, you know, listened to. And if you're, if you have an education, you know, regardless of how bright you are or not bright, you can present a bloody good argument in a very loud voice. Look at our politicians, for example. And, you know, and I believe those loud posh voices for such mm. a long time because they're loud and they're posh, therefore they're right. No, they're not. They're loud and they're posh and they also look comfortable saying what they think <laughs> because they have been allowed to be for so long. And so they are very convincing. Correct. buzzer time but it's another interesting thing I think that does happen in midlife which is so I've been doing my job for over 20 years now and I would sit in front of brand founders and I'm 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 definitely somebody who will say what I think if I'm asked because a lot of the time my face says it before my mouth does and I (laughs) And so I have expressed my opinion in the past and I've definitely ruffled feathers and upset people. And then something shifted a few years ago around the time I turned 40, where Mm. I was so used to the experience of saying what I thought about if if a brand founder wanted to ask my opinion about a new launch or something to do with the business or whatever. I was used to them glazing over halfway through or thinking oh, that's going to dazzle them on the answer sorry. Oh, God. sorry I missed that I was just gonna say because they don't want the answer and then you went on to say because you've dazzled them no because I was expecting that I might have dazzled them and then you'd hear oh. nothing and you realize that actually they asked your opinion and they didn't care for it or they didn't think it held any weight well that was how I interpreted it interpreted yeah. it. it was like oh yeah. well they think my opinion's worth nothing yeah and then around 40 I would be asked questions and I realized I was in exactly the same scenario. And I realized I was talking very, very quickly because I wanted to get to the end of what I had to say before they glazed over or before I was stopped. And then I realized people are listening because there's something about having 20 years experience. There's something about hitting that double decade whereby people (laughs) will hear you out. And there's something about being a certain age, I think, where when you do speak, you don't have to rattle to the end because you have an implied authority simply because you've been around long enough. Maybe. Excellent advice, Ms. Guns. <laughs> Sorry about my bloody email pinging in the background. I got on, That's I was okay. like, yeah, I'm quite techie, you know, Emma, I'm quite <laughs> techie. Cut to, cannot turn off the notifications on my Gmail. Um, yes, good point. Now, what's interesting as well is... We don't really listen. I'd, I've said this a lot in business that we don't listen to young people, mm-hmm. younger people. We don't listen to them. So I feel that as a boss and as, you know, I've always I've always given them airtime, given younger people airtime. And maybe that's because I felt that I wasn't listened to too. Mm-hmm. Maybe, that's, maybe that's as a result. I've not been in business, you see, in this new stage that I'm in now, which is, uh, a rescaffolded sense of self-worth, um, uh, stopping and living in the present instead of projecting my life into the future, and 
really coming to terms with who I am and not, you know, believe me, the little gremlin voices still appear. Um, as I said, I spent, I mean, I did spend, spend two days this week just full of self-loathing and it is only Wednesday, so there we go. Uh, but I haven't been in a business scenario in this new mode and I wonder what it would be like for me. I wonder. I wonder too. I wonder. Report I mean, back. I started working with somebody on a freelance basis and maybe it's a completely different industry. It's hospitality. Oh. And I just speak as I, so maybe it is something to do with being older and finally being listened to. Maybe it is. Maybe. Do you, so you said you've had a bad week. Are you mm -hmm. able to, it is Wednesday, as you've said. <laughs> Are you able to, I'm going to use the word salvage because that's mm -hmm. the use I would word, the word I would use if I was doing it talking to myself if I felt like I lost in inverted commas Monday and Tuesday because the darkness had descended yeah. I would feel a huge amount of pressure to then fill Wednesday Thursday and Friday with five days worth of work and I think I'm learning not to do that and just to maybe ease back in and to see this is an easy week well because the thing is is it I will still get loads done but I've just removed that pressure valve so are you able to as we chat here on a Wednesday hopefully you've had a lovely time and <laughs> are you able to recalibrate, even if it's not back to what feels quote unquote normal, are you able to recalibrate in a way that you feel that actually I can just chalk that up to experience now? Recovery is not linear. It's all fine. I am. Finally, mm -hmm. yes, I am. So uh, disclosure, I went back to bed after the school run on Monday. I did the school run in my pajamas. I find... The whole morning thing, no matter how organized I might be, quote unquote, I'm never organized. There's always something that goes disastrously wrong with a 10 year old and a 12 year old. And I don't like screaming. I was brought up in a household with a lot of screaming. And so I really internalize it. And so it feels like my insides are on fire. I then get to the school and I come back and I have, I find planning really difficult. And so with an endless sort of, you know, I've got a million things to do. I went back to bed. Now I know that's not good for me. I know it's not. I did the same yesterday. And I also haven't admitted this to anyone. Might as well admit it to everyone right now. That at 12.30, once I'd had an hour's sleep, my phone bleeped and it was the PR who'd sent a car for me the lunch she was like <laughs> emma's face by the way because i've done like, it i've done this I was like great thanks got in the shower did my makeup in the back of the car i was only 15 minutes late i have no idea no idea how i did that and you know what that lunch was a game changer i sat next to two people i'd never met before and i met i saw lots of people i knew um it was a really interesting and informative lunch I learned stuff that I never known, I never knew. And I came home and I thought, come on, girl, you're okay. And mm. I then got to work. I then did, picked up, well, I picked up the kids from school first, and then I did um, some work. And today is all work. And I forgive myself. Mm. Maybe I needed that hour of sleep yesterday morning. Maybe I needed it. I think there's also a point at which I don't know about you, but if I'm struggling, I start to cancel everything. Yeah. I And I start to fib everything. to my friends about, 
we're supposed to go out and I fib about, oh, my foot is caught in something. Therefore I can't, you know, in it, and I know that they know yeah. it's pathetic, but, and so act, but sometimes it can be kill or cure. Underground. I think. Do you go underground? Completely. Underground. Yeah. Yeah. Completely yes. underground. And actually I realize now I'm realizing now that my going underground has left a lot of friends from my past confused yeah. because all they saw was me disappear and who mm-hmm. doesn't take that personally. And so when I show up again in their world, they are a bit like, stay where you were. And that that's a difficult thing to navigate. But I mean, that's a whole lot of podcast. No, I've, lost, I've lost a lot of friends that way. And I have lost a lot of potentially new and close friends because mm. of it. I've got a very close girlfriend called Jill who has the ability to find time for everybody and call everyone back and check in. And I just, when I disappear, I'm, I'm gone. And new friends don't get it. And mm. the old friends do, but new friends don't. And it's not nice. So yeah, I was in disappear, disappearing mode this week. Um, and that jolt, the taxis outside, was exactly what I needed. And then I was actually able to really forgive, yeah, forgive myself. I, let me tell you, historically, I never would have been in pajamas and back in bed. And that's a sign that I am allowing myself to recover. Yes. Whatever it was that happened, I'm allowing, I've had a lot of um, financial worries recently and it all came to a head at the weekend and I clearly had internalized it all, right? And and I realized that I needed to defer my master's from here and was I was upset and, and then Monday I was burnt out. Mm. Historically, I'd have been Phoebe Philo dresses Robocop at the school gates. <laughs> Through the whole, I would have done the whole day, everything's fine, everything's fine. Pick up the kids, everything's fine, everything's fine. And then, like, no, everything, guess what? Everything's not okay. I'm still in pajamas, I'm going back to bed, and now I'm fine. You know what, girl, you needed that day in bed. Yeah. Uh, you probably should not have gone back to bed yesterday, but actually you were jolted out of it. And I forgive you. I yeah. forgive me. I forgive me. And that is part of recovery. And also, as somebody who loves the film Robocop, even though it's very dark, I now <laughs> want you to go to the school gates dressed as Phoebe Philo's Robocop and just say to your kids in front of all the other parents, dead or alive, you're coming with me. <laughs> 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 Was it was it Robocop who said you have 20 seconds to comply? Um that was the Ed 209. Was it? Okay. There right. was another there was another robot by OCP Corp. I mean, obviously, I spent my life watching action movies as a child. And it looked like a, a Range Rover Evoke. Oh yes. And, it, and then it would yes. get up on its high, it looked like it would get up on its hind legs and it would arm its um road. Those yeah. guns, those spinny the guns. You have ten seconds to comply as it sort of walked over to you in ten the most seconds. awkward fashion. Well, it's like, well, they gave you twenty, but then it was like, well, you now you've got ten, so you better comply. Saying that to the kids in the morning. Try it. You have twenty seconds to comply. <laughs> Do it. But instead of guns, I'll have toast. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yes. Right. Maybe I should do that. I like this. Oh, I do I... myself, and the burnout thing is inevitable. And it does happen. And 
all our listeners here today have to forgive themselves too. And I know it sounds self-indulgent because if you're a nurse, if you work in a hospital, if you work in a, you know, in a job where you have to go into the office, spending a day in bed sounds really, really self-indulgent. And I'm sorry if it does. Um, I just want to say to you that if you do feel like that, there are other ways of recovering and being kind to yourself, which could mm. be something as simple as not going on your phone for an entire weekend, telling your friends you're okay, phone's going off, whatever. We all have our own ways mm. of dealing with our uh, burnout and our need to just sometimes decompress. I knew we were going to have a conversation that would make me feel better. And it really has. It's, I'm so glad that you were able to do this. I didn't think that we were going to, didn't think we were going to talk about Robocop, but again, really, really glad that we did. <laughs> Thanks for coming on. It's been such a pleasure. I have the sunglasses here. I mean, I do have them. They're over there. I know exactly where they are. The I think it's there. an Instagram post, please. I, <laughs> the full Robocop. Also, Kylie Jenner just launched her fashion line, Kai, yesterday. And she oh, did yeah. a TikTok where she wore uh, her favourite piece from the collection, which is probably like a £9,000 leather trench coat. But the blue, the sleeves are so vol- voluminous. on Phoebe Philo. The no. Kylie Jenner. Oh. <laughs> her brain, honestly, have a look at it. Because I just looked at it and thought, it reminds me of, I, I wouldn't wear it because if I wore it and said, hey, Stacey, should I buy this? You would say, Emmy, you look absolutely ridiculous. Buy I just it. couldn't pull it off, but I'm five how foot much, four. How much, it? how much was it? I don't know, yeah. but it's by Kylie Jenner. So it's not going to be high street, is it? I mean. If you I'm, get your hands on a sample, it would be great for the Robocop. Uh, I'm just saying. I tell you what, I'm going to get a sample and I'm going to wear the, I'm going to wear that look on the school run and then I'm going to tag you in please do I would love that um listeners I'm going to put the link to Stacey's book in pursuit of happiness where you'll get to uh read all about that illicit encounter in detail (laughs) I will also put the links to the podcast I mentioned earlier with Rosie Green and Helen Thorne in the show notes and anything else that we mentioned but I think that's it but Stacey I feel like this is going to be your first but not your last visit to the podcast thank you for being here Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for listening to that episode of The Emma Gunn Show. I do hope you enjoyed it. I appreciate your time hugely. If you did enjoy it and you never want to miss an episode, then please do hit the subscribe button wherever it is that you are streaming and downloading this episode. It's also where you get the opportunity to leave a five-star review and a rating for how you feel about the show. And I'd be so grateful if you wouldn't mind leaving one. If you want to get in touch with me, email me at thebeautypodcast at gmail.com. I would love to hear from you. Or you can DM me on Instagram and Twitter where I am at Emma Guns. If you fancy chatting to me and thousands of other fellow listeners of the podcast, then click the link to join the Facebook forum. The link to join is in the show notes, which can be found wherever it is that you are streaming and downloading this episode. You have to answer a couple of questions, but we cannot wait to see you there. Come over and join the conversation. Thank you so much for listening. I will see you on the next one. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? 
Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart, a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com.